Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have a great guest, Robert Mack, or I'll just refer to him as Rob. He's an Ivy League-educated positive psychology expert, an executive coach, published author of a book called Happiness from the Inside Out. He's also a celebrity love coach on the E! Network's Famously Single and host of a show I was just on called Good Morning La La Land, which is, I believe, the first live TV morning talk show on the internet. Uh, Robert writes and speaks to people about how to live happier lives from the inside out. His work has been endorsed by Oprah, among many others. And I just want to get into all of this with him about happiness. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. This is great. You know, one of the things that really stood out right off the bat was this very interesting degree you have from the University of Pennsylvania, which is an incredible Ivy League level school, um, is a master's in applied positive psychology, which is a degree held by only a few dozen people in the world. And there's only another degree like that from my alma mater, which is UC Santa Cruz, which is a PhD in the history of consciousness, which is another thing that as very few people have. So I'm really interested in these sort of niche degrees. They're usually in the realm of thought and consciousness. So I'd love you to just start off before you tell us your story, because, you know, let's just tease the audience with from suicidal to kicking ass in life. <laughs> um, Love but, it. but tell us a little bit about this degree. Yeah. So applied positive psychology is only about, you know, 15, 16 years old. It focuses on the science of happiness and success. And so they've called thousands of studies and they basically found that certain things lead to a happy life. Certain things don't. Certain things lead to success. Certain things don't. And so it's always nice to sort of have a little empirical grounding, you know, as you live your life. That's really amazing. Tell us how you even went on this journey. What were you doing in life when it dawned on you that life sucked? Yeah, it was mostly just living. <laughs> it was just <laughs> living. Um, you know, I grew up in a very loving family, incredible family, lots of turmoil. Most families have financial stress and, you know, familial stress and just you know, life has its bumps and bruisers, bruises. And so over time, you know, I feel like I was almost born a pessimist, but I just saw everything very negatively. And um, as I went through school, I was a pretty good athlete, a pretty good student. I went to a pretty decent college and I had a girlfriend and I had a great consulting job. And my life just seemed to become more and more unhappy. And so I remember getting to a place where, you know, I just looked at this proposition called life itself. And I thought, boy, I'm working so hard to acquire this stuff and to meet these people. And I want them to like me. And that always feels like an uphill battle, you know, and I want, you know, um, to love them and I want them to love me. But at the end of the day, whether it's one day from now or 70 years from now, you know, everyone's going to die. Everything that I have will be gone. And this entire life, all this hard work that I put in will be for naught. So I thought, that's an awful, crazy, you know, and sad proposition that, you know, everything that you love and everybody that you love um, will one day be taken away from you. Um, and that just drove me to want to kill myself. And so I did some research and I thought, really the only option. And I was looking for like the least painful way to do it. And, uh, I ended up deciding that I was going to slit my wrist and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. You just kind of make a decision. And I went to sort of dig this steak knife into my wrist and, uh, you know, I wasn't planning on doing it at that time, but I wanted to see how painful it was going to be. And it was really strange because without anything changing in the world, you know, I felt this unabiding sort of sense of peace that just washed over me. You know, I just felt that all was well and I couldn't explain it to this day. I can't explain it. It was just a moment of divine intervention almost. And I decided that moment that I would wait an hour and the hour turned into a day and the day turned into a week and the entire time 
I was just doing some research and I was trying to understand what it was that led me to be so unhappy and also what it was that led me to have this moment of peace um, and equanimity in my life. And, you know, before long, that's when I, you know, it was years and years in the, in the making. But, you know, at some point in time, I found this program at University of Pennsylvania that is applied positive psychology. Now, we can study everything we want. You can look at things theoretically. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of people have what you just described as a moment or moments in life or an extended period of time where it's, what the hell is it all for? Uh, why? Right? Why this? Why all of this? You know, that's kind of what you were expressing. And I'm like, oh, man, I've been there. I've had the, you know, we've been down in the dumps and had those moments. Um, and not just like a bad day, right? We're talking, you know, right? A little chronic, chronic scenario in life, right? And, and yes, it's interesting how you went right up to the edge, literally, right? Yes. And, yes. uh, I'm not surprised that like going right up to that is when something, whether subconsciously divine intervention sparked the hit to, you know, hold on a minute. Um, in retrospect, cause it took years, you're studying this, you're going through this. What was the enlightening moment or what were some of the things you found, whether it was science or just an idea or an interaction with someone where you you felt happy? You were like, oh, my God, I see what my old self was doing. What was your old self doing that you now go, oh, man, if I could have had a conversation with him? Mm. What are the things? I'm sure there's several points here, but I'd love you to kind of go through that. Great. Really, really great question. I'd say that the first sort of revelation or realization was that what I knew was questionable at best, probably wrong. Um, you know, if I was really honest with myself and so I was living with these assumptions, but I was blind to the assumptions. So simple things like you have to do what you hate or you have to do things that you hate and that in of itself. Okay. So I believed essentially you know, that we lived in a meritocracy and that the harder I worked, the better life would go. And I would make more money, I would get a better job, and I would have better relationships, and I would be happier for it. And so there's this very fundamental assumption, which was that if I could be successful enough, I would eventually be happy. That in of itself, I discovered, was really deeply problematic. And when I began to do more and more research, I found that not only were most other people in the world feeling the way I was feeling, at least they had felt that way at some point in time, but that over the last, at that point, it was just 50 years. Now it's like 70 years or more. People have been feeling worse and worse and worse as life has been getting better, which of course strongly suggests and, you know, indicates that, you know, improving the conditions and circumstances of your life do not dramatically improve your subjective well-being and, and your happiness. So you can actually do better, but feel worse for it. And it's not a cause and effect that we think it is, right? And that's the problem is that if you're always looking, and this is why I love the title of your book, Happiness from the Inside Out, if you're looking for external circumstances and situations, right? When I finally get successful, you thought, I'll be happy. Absolutely. So I have to slave and suffer and sacrifice and be in some crappy job like everyone else, right? That's yes. probably where you were at. So it's interesting. Um, That's exactly love to get right. into more of that. These, these external, because it seems backward, doesn't it? We say, well, of course I'm unhappy now because I'm broke or I don't have that job or I don't have the wife or I don't have the kid, whatever it is. I don't have the thing that I want that I think would make me happy. So of course I'm not happy. How are you telling me to be happy now <laughs> in order to get those things? How can I? But if you get into it, that's where it's at man, right? It's so where it's at. So how did you, I mean, it's a, it's a big one, but I'd love to get still into more about where you went here with that. Yeah. So I, when I began to realize that there was an option that I could try, and at this point I wasn't confident about it, but I was like, you know, I could live my life in a different way and see what happens. Since I'm going to die anyway, whether at my own hands or some other way, I might as well try, you know, question these assumptions and just try to live it in a different way. You know, those things that I've been wanting to do, I'll do them. And those people I've been wanting to hang out with, I'll do that. And the work that I hate, I'll find a way to get out of it. But let me see if I can't prioritize happiness and see what happens. If it all goes to crap like I expect it to, and I lose all my money and I lose all my friends and 
I'm considered a failure. Well, I can still kill myself, right? And so I got, I got a backup plan. I got a good solid backup plan. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was going to exercise that backup plan anyway. You know, so when I made that decision that, hey, I'm going to just put happiness first. And if I only last a week doing this, you know, dropping this whole no pain, no gain mentality and trust that I can follow my bliss and it's going to lead me somewhere, then that would be amazing. And if it doesn't, I'm still in the same boat I am now. So I thought, well, I'll give that a shot. So I started down that path and I just read everything I could possibly get my hands on that had anything to do with happiness. And at first for me, I was very analytical and very logical. So I needed something scientific. I needed something that was proven that had evidence behind it. And, you know, so positive psychology was just blossoming and blooming at that point. Actually, it wasn't even, hadn't even been birthed, but the founder of positive psychology, Martin Seligman, was doing very interesting work on depression and, and some of it was on happiness. And, you know, the roots of positive psychology were already there. And there were already folks that had been writing about happiness in the scientific space for a while. So I just started reading that stuff more and more. And I started applying as much of it as humanly possible, really testing it. You know, I was really sort of a scientist in that way. I was testing it. What did work, I sort of tracked. I just wrote down. It wasn't real formal. It sounds more formal now, but I was just like make a note and say, oh, you know, create a happiness list of things that make you happy. And when you feel sad, do one of them. Simple stuff. You know, focus on things that you appreciate. Even if you feel like it's kind of a snow job, just still try. And so I just, and then the things that didn't work, I just would ignore, or I wouldn't pay any more attention to, and I'd try new stuff. So I just kept through this process. Eventually, that tracking system or that list became happiness from the inside out. It became the book. Um, but it was really just me, you know, like doing this wild, wild west thing, <laughs> throwing as much spaghetti against the wall as possible, seeing what stuck, you know, seeing what made me actually happy and what was working and what didn't that eventually led me up out of this you know, sort of sad, dark rabbit hole of depression um, and allowed me to sort of, you know, begin moving forward in my life, both professionally and personally. How did you move out of the analytical, logical, theoretical part of reading all of the scientific evidence and studies, et cetera, to then emotionally feeling the feelings of and applying it? Because happiness is a feeling, right? It's an emotion. You have to feel it. You can't fake it, right? You can smile, but inside, right? <laughs> so so how, how, did you, how did you bridge that or where, what were some moments? Or First of all, I like the fact that you said, <clears throat> you know, sometimes doing gratitude or appreciation exercises can feel like a snow job. First of all, you definitely are from the East Coast because that's totally a term we would all use growing up. Um, I'm like, definitely from Pennsylvania because I'm from Chicago. I'm like, yep, that's totally a term we would use. But um, but it's true because here's the thing. It does feel fake at first, doesn't it? It does. It feels fake. It feels like you're lying to yourself yeah. to do an affirmation or to try to, you know, force appreciation. Yeah, I love the tree. It's beautiful. Oh, God, I'm lying. What a joke. It's so fake. It's like obvious, right? It, it, these are the things that are going on in one's head. But yeah. again, going back then to what you said at first, which I love is, what the hell do I have to lose anyway, man? I'm already on this thing. You know, why not just try it? Um, because you're right, it does feel fake at first. So, so then was it just you applied it and it felt fake and then it kind of became real? Or, or, or there any defining moments or things that you were like, ah, oh, you know, there was a, there was a day there. Yeah, you know, it was uh, it's a really, really profound um, question. You know, I, so in the beginning, yes, of course, it, it definitely felt fake. And what I came to realize, however, is that what I was calling fake was just familiarity. So it was just a lack of familiarity. And so it's like the same way if you lived in prison your whole life and one day and you'd never seen sunshine and you walked out of prison and you saw sunshine, it's like, ah, oh, this doesn't You'd run right real. back in. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I was like, oh, this is just a practiced way of being that's become familiar to me. But the same way in which you live in a prison your whole life. And the sunshine feels unfamiliar and feels fake. It can't be real. That was the same experience. So I started having these little insights. But what really happened, a couple of things happened. One thing is I, got, I became exhausted from reading all these scientific books and memorizing everything. Like it was just too much. It was overwhelming. I was feeling inundated with things to remember in order to be happy. And basically trying to be happy became one more to-do item. You know, it was just like I – you know, so I started saying, okay – I think I kind of one more thing you had to do you didn't like, right? <laughs> yes, exactly, right, exactly, exactly. So then I said, you know, I'm becoming a little exhausted, and I started picking up 
these books. So if you read any, you know, scientific book on happiness, most of them refer back to philosophers or mystics or spiritual teachers or, you know, messiahs. They, they, they refer back to monks, you know, um, they refer back. And so I said, well, let me check out these other folks who they're referring to, who they have such reverence for, and let me read some of their stuff. I started reading their stuff and I was like, whoa, they were saying this thousands of years ago without the benefit of, you know, the scientific method, so to speak. And they're saying it more simply, right? They're saying it so much more simply and it's so much more powerful. And you could even feel through the book, like there's something different about these people. So as I went down that path, all of a sudden I felt this huge relief. And with that relief came increasing peace and happiness and just the simplicity about the whole thing. And so I would discover authors like, like Abraham Hicks, you know, and Eckhart Tolle, and I just loved them. I just absolutely fell in love with them. And uh, you're so right. My and my favorites and my favorite Seth material is yes, back in like oh the seventies, you know, and a lot of the stuff even on the power of subconscious mind goes back to the fifties and a lot of it even in ancient text, including some of biblical verses and things like that that are absolutely related to, you know, I guess the idea of having faith in the unseen um in order to see it. Uh, right. Because that's the leap of faith we all have to take with any of these endeavors. One of the things I really like, just side note, which is what you said your journey was is what I have said before on the podcast or told people, which is I'm like, listen, if you wanted to become a painter, a potter, whatever, anything, an accountant, you know, you at the very least might want to like get a accounting for dummies book or take an online YouTube class, like whatever, you know, you, but you would go and figure out who and what who the people who do this, what are they doing? What are they saying? So that's what you did. You were like, what are all the people who say they're happy, who might have some information on? Maybe I should go check that out. And that's what I say to people who are in any kind of state of depression or need self-help in any arena, marriage, whatever, relationships, career, go listen and tap into all the people who are talking about it. That's the way I changed my life around like you did. I didn't get a degree in it like you did, but you know, what a what a thing, right? And it's available now mostly for free for people, right? Interviews with authors and people like that, even this podcast, to go and sample and check out where people 30 years ago didn't have that opportunity. They might have one scientific book by some PhD, you know? It's remarkable. You're absolutely right about that. And one thing that I was sort of deeply blessed with, I feel, was always being clear that I wasn't the smartest person in any room. <laughs> like I'm very clear about that. There are smarter people out there in the world. Um, and particularly folks who know a lot more about happiness than me. I felt like everyone did. So I would intentionally seek out people who had made a study of happiness and that were living happy lives. And I was just blown away by some of the things that they were saying and some of the things that I was reading. A lot of it is hard to accept at first. Because, again, it's unfamiliar. Your logical, analytical brain is really good at doubling down on what it already believes. It's really bad at, you know, staying open to new information um, because it's not, you know, a particularly, particularly efficient way of running your brain. Um, but when you sort of just push a little and you stay open and you say, hey, what do I have to lose here? It's remarkable the things that you discover. And Part of what I discovered in the process, I think you spoke to it so well, was this whole faith thing, like this trust thing, like because happiness does require deep trust. And for me, at first, the trust was in science. So your trust is always somewhere. The faith is always somewhere, right? Always. And, you know, the one thing I've come to realize, at least for me, is that it's never a question of having more faith. It's just a question of, I think we all have sort of infinite faith and we don't realize it. So when we go for a walk, we have complete faith in the ground underneath us. For whatever reason, we have complete faith in gravity. Nobody could have ever told you about gravity, but you have complete faith in it. You have complete faith in the air entering next to your lungs. I mean, we have faith. We also sometimes have that faith focused on negativity. We call that fear. But so whether your faith is focused on what's possible or what's positive, we call it faith. When it's focused on what's not possible or what's scary or what's lacking, we call it fear. But in either case, it's faith. It's some kind of faith. And so as I began to realize that, that listen, in every moment of every day and at all times and all places, I'm either focused on something positive and something that's working or something that could be, or I'm fo focused on something that's not. And when I'm focused on something that's not, 
when I'm focused on the fear, when I'm focused on what's going wrong, science tells me my life will probably turn out worse for it. So we have all these psychological principles that we're clear about that when we're focused on what scares us, what's negative, what we don't appreciate, we tend to experience poorer health, poor job performance, worse relationships. We live a lot shorter life. Everything, we make less money. Everything sort of confirms that belief that you have when you live a very pessimistic or sort of fear-based life. When, on the other hand, you focus on what's going well, on what you appreciate, on the possibility, the opportunity, life goes increasingly well for you. And so every area of your life improves when you focus on what is going well. Now, look, so a lot of people will say, well, but what if something is wrong? What if something isn't going well in that moment? We'll say most situations, most conditions, circumstances, we can't control in that red hot minute anyway. If it's truly emergency, you do what you can and you move on. Most things aren't an emergency. And so one of the best things you can do is address what's within your control now, but realize that what's ultimately always in your control is where you're focused, what you're thinking, and how you're feeling. And that ultimately it's that action or that emotional journey that's much more important than the action journey you're taking. And I think that was another revelation that I had that, you know, I sort of always thought I accomplished things in life by working really hard with my hands and with my, and, you know, with my mind even. And it was partially true, but I've discovered that you accomplish a lot more in your life, both with respect to happiness, but also health and also money and also relationships through the emotional journey that you take. I love that. It's so a feeling universe and the feelings do generate it. And sometimes the work is feelings. And you know, you mentioned Abraham Hicks and she had a great one day where she was like, listen, if you need to go to the beach every day to feel good and get into the right vibration, then that's your work, right? You know, and I actually have done more quote work at the beach, getting into a right vibration and manifested more things in an hour at the beach than I have in uh, eight hours of uh, emailing people. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I and mean, I know you know what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. I know you know what absolutely. I'm saying. And it's amazing because on your website, you talk about how, you know, you're about action. We have to take action. You have to put a foot forward, but you're about less action because you sound like me, you know, you're, you, you can achieve things. You can, you know, dot the I's and the T's, but at the end of the day, you can get into a heady foray into the, you know, like the science behind all this stuff. But I'm like you, I like a little bit of both. I, sometimes it's nice for me to dip back into some of the science because it renews my faith. And sometimes it helps me to dip back into some of the philosophical, metaphysical stuff because that renews my faith. I think I, I like both like you, but if you spend too much time in one, you're not going to get the feeling of the other and vice versa. That's, that's absolutely right. You're right about that. Um, they both need fed. And I will say too, um, to your point, you know, they're just different ways of saying or communicating or receiving the exact same thing. You know, so it's like the more deeply I've, do- I've, d- I've dived into science, the more I've discovered they're saying exactly what the mystics have been saying all along. And then the more deeply I sort of dive into what the mystics are saying, the more I discover that's exactly what the scientists are saying. I mean, you just have to dive deep enough. And that's been my experience with all of life. There are like really a limited number of truths I think. And, um, and then of course, you know, the highest truth is something that can't be expressed at all. It's closer to feeling, I think, than it is to thinking or a thought or a concept. But in any case, um, you're absolutely right. You know, you need to trust what resonates with you most deeply, follow that path and trust that if it feels good, it can turn out good for you. And that if it feels good, it can be good for you. And whether that means sitting on the beach, you know, whether it means, you know, putting together puzzles, um, whatever it is that allows you to get into that place where you feel increasing subjective well-being, when you feel better and happier and more peaceful and more loving, you'd be surprised at the things that take care of themselves and all of the best things in my life, whether it's relationships or money or professional opportunities, they've all come out of the quote unquote blue when I was like laying at the pool, quite literally. To- I'm with you. I'm totally with you. And that's when you get the call and that's when you get the audition and that's when you get Yes. Totally. It's like mind blowing. And my mom will remind me of that all the time. She says, Rob, you know, you're working really hard at this thing. And I love that you're working hard. We taught you to work hard, honey. But haven't you noticed that everything good that's ever happened to you has just been grace? It's just come out of nowhere when you've been over here doing this thing, happy, loving, peace. And it doesn't mean that you're not still doing things. But- when, when you're doing it for results, in a way, it's more resistant type of action. So I guess that's right. 
ultimately what I'm saying at the end of the day, it's really the inspired action. It's this, this, the action that you take in spirit. You know, it's, it's, it's more about that emotional journey and it's trusting that you can do what you love and you can, you know, think about what you love and you can focus on what you love and what makes you happy. And you can trust that things are going to work out well for you. Um, it may not happen immediately, but it happens. Right. I would love to, you know, with all of this academia behind you, your belt, uh, what about some interesting tidbits on some of the studies? I mean, not necessarily quoting exact statistics, but yeah, I'd love to know about some of the cultures and some of the places, things of all of the things you've studied. What are some like really interesting ones that are like, ah, you know what? That was a good one. Great question. So the, the first thing that we know for sure is that conditions and circumstances of your life, even when they're perfect, only account for about 10% of your happiness. So if you get everything perfect, you make the perfect sum of money and you've got the perfect relationship and you've got the perfect health and the perfect family and the perfect kids, the perfect friends, all of that combined accounts for 10% of your happiness level. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. So that's one thing that sort of shocked me. Um, you know, the other thing that's really shocked me is that, you know, a lot of these things that we assume about life is just plain wrong. And so the thing that we mentioned earlier in terms of success leading to happiness and how that's not the case, that actually when you get happy first, success follows much more effortlessly, much more easily and in greater abundance. And so we know that the happiest people, that people that find a way to come, become happy first, those people experience um, a longer life by six to seven years. They experience less job burnout. They have better relationships, happier relationships. They get married earlier, stay married longer and are happy in the relationships, whether they get married or not. Um, they also teach their kids to be happy and in doing so their kids are happier but also more successful in the same way that they are happy people also make about six hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars more over the course of their entire lifetime wow um you know so in all ways all oh, they experience better health and the happiness comes before these outcomes so lots of people will argue well it's because they were healthy they became happy well certainly health helps you to be happy but what they discovered was it's your perception of health that helps you to be happy. So there are people that terminal illnesses that have a perception of feeling pretty healthy or they're, or, and, or they have terminal illnesses. They're very sick, but their focus through discipline isn't on the lack of health. It's on something else. Mm -hmm. You know, it's on their friends or it's on their family or it's on the precious time they have left and they're happier for it. And that in and of itself is immune boosting. And so it's just phenomenal the ways in which feeling good is good for you. Beyond that. So then people say, well, isn't that selfish? <laughs> yes, it is. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, I will accept that. I am happy to be as selfish as humanly possible. And what's interesting about that is it is selfish. It requires you to be selfish. And it's also the most unselfish thing you can do in the world because we found through studies that the happiest people donate the most blood. They don't donate the most money. They're kinder, way kinder than most folks helpful. who aren't happy. Yes, they're more charitable. And so – Happiness actually makes you a much better person, quote unquote, um, as well. So a much, a much more generous person, kind person, not that you could be a better person, but just kind and generous and so more loving. And so really in all ways, happiness benefits your life. Now, there is something, there is a sort of caveat to this based on science. One of the caveats is, you know, so we know for a long time that more money generally doesn't make people happier. You know, it, if there are problems there, it tends to magnify whatever problem was already there. If you're happy already, more money will make you a little happier. If you're miserable, probably make you a little bit more miserable. There's a caveat to that. The caveat is if you're making below a level of subsistence. So in the United States, as of a few years ago, it was like $70,000. So making less than $70,000, additional dollars will do a lot for your happiness, okay, to the point where you get above $70,000. At that point, you experience you know, diminishing marginal utility of the dollar. And it's just not nearly as conducive for boosting your happiness as you would expect. And at some point, it just completely plateaus. Hmm. Um, but that's one thing that, you know, we kind of want to be mindful of is, you know, it's tough to tell someone who's living at a level of, you know, below subsistence or poverty level and say, you know, just be happy. Things will get up. You know, that's true. It's true. And yet we also want to just want to be careful to be compassionate and remember that, look, a lot just even a little bit of money would drastically improve that person's life and their happiness because they'd be able to eat, they'd have shelter, they have clothing, they can take care of their kids. So um, those are just a few of the findings um, that I find so interesting. Those are really fun. What about, um, you know, it's interesting, you were talking about earlier faith and you were saying, yeah, you could have faith in 
the negative and pessimism, right? Yes. Where you can have faith. And so, you know, I want to get on that because that's on the level of words having power, right? Yeah. So yeah. obviously you have a belief. So it is, it's like faith and here's the faith and the pessimism. Like, well, that would totally be my luck <laughs> to miss my flyer, right? Okay, so I'd love to hear some of those because there's common shit. We all say these things. And you know what? Um, I, I rarely do. And if I do, I catch myself and I go, why in the world? Because like, I'm aware of my thoughts, but then sometimes yeah. I'll have a doozy. Um, what are some of those you've seen with your clients? You know, some, some objections, people that have not gotten there yet that, or, you know, have now, but when they were first starting, because it, it, those words and how you talk about your life and whatever that story is really does let a window into what your beliefs are. Totally. Absolutely. So yeah, most of the objections I get and I get them, um, from clients, uh, from friends. Um, and look, I'm no different. When I was starting on this journey, I was the poster boy for saying that's ridiculous. So usually the first objection I get <laughs> You're like is, the ultimate skeptic. Yeah, totally. Totally. I was the ultimate skeptic. No question about it. So, um, the first, one of the greatest objections I get is, well, this is true. This is reality. This is what happened. How can you tell me not to think or focus on it or talk about it. And I'll say, well, if thinking and focusing and talking about it, for in the beginning, it's helpful. You know, work through those things, process those things. But at a certain point in time, focusing on this thing that's going wrong or this relationship that's not going right will not help you find a solution, right? So as Einstein said so beautifully, the problem and the solution are on two different pages. And you don't become happy by focusing on all the unhappy aspects of your life or of your relationship or of your job. It's just impossible. It's impossible. Right. Stop searching for limiting beliefs too, right? Because you'll keep finding them, right? So you're just looking for more. Absolutely. Right. Exactly right. You, you will always find what you're looking for. So if you look for something long enough, you'll find it. If you can't find it, you'll create it. That's the nature of the mind. The mind works like the century on a ship, right? Its job is to find problems so it protects you. You know, and that's, that's kind of the way, you know, the, the brain, I should say, that's the way the brain is designed and it's sort of a primitive function, but we've developed this prefrontal cortex that allows us to see through that and beyond that and think in new adaptive ways. And so it's not something we're taught growing up. It's something that we have to learn on our own. It's something that we have to then practice. But over a period of time, as you practice focusing on what you appreciate and you focus on being solution oriented, so to speak. You'd be surprised at how easy it becomes eventually. And so I love Wayne Dyer, um, you know, and one of the things that he used to say, you know, um, you know, he's passed, but one of the things he used to say was the law of flotation was not discovered by the contemplation on the sinking of things. The sinking of things. Yep. <laughs> I love that quote. And also a, another one I love from him, but I don't know if it's his. I think it's an ancient whatever. And I've mentioned it before is uh, no one ever built a statue to a skeptic, right? <laughs> like there's not a statue out there where people are going by a park. And they're like, there's a guy who didn't believe in anything over there, Mr. Right. You know what I mean? And I also love that too. The, the flotation, figuring out how to make a boat float was not by contemplating the sinking of it. It's just, we don't discover the stars, the moon, you know, no, no pessimist or skeptic has ever discovered, you know, new land, anything, or, right, anything. Yeah. exactly. Any, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, right. Anything except sadness. And so, you know, and it's interesting too, you know, you remind me of something. And so there's an entire body of research that is basically focused on only on optimism. And what they found was, except in very rare arenas or very rare spaces in life, Optimism is always a much better approach. Um, and what they found was that if you if you look at any team sport, any individual sport, if you look at any presidential election, you can basically predict who will win the event um, or win the election simply based on how optimistic their speech and their thoughts and their words are, right, in advance of the competition, right? So yeah. this that in of itself should tell you something that at the end of the day, we like to think it's intelligence that gets us places and it's hard work that gets us places and it's figuring out the answers to our problems that gets us places. But that's simply not true. There's something incredibly contagious, incredibly infectious and incredibly appealing and attractive. Um, and I mean that quite literally and figuratively about optimism, about happiness and about focusing on that which makes you feel better. And everybody wants to feel better. And so if you can find a way to tap into that, all of a sudden, 
you're able to move mountains with very little effort or energy. And essentially, that's what faith is. That's why Jesus spoke about it in the way that he did. That's exactly what it is. It's this ability to focus in a way that allows you to tap into something that is you and yet is much greater and beyond you. You can call it, if you're from in the scientific world, you might call it optimism, you might call it emotional contagion, you might call it executive presence in your, if you're in the business space. But, you know, I simply call it faith or trust or being tapped in, tuned in, turned on. Yeah. But it's happiness. I love it. And, and t- I mean, we'll, we'll, of course, give everyone ways to connect you through the show notes, et cetera. But in working as a coach, tell us about a couple of maybe examples of some, you know, clients that went from A to Z, um, regardless of whatever arena what is. And, you know, maybe start off with what their mindset was and, and the person that they became, because I love hearing some of the 180s, you know? Yeah. So I will preface this all by saying that while I don't feel like there's anybody on the planet that's better at me than what I do, okay, <laughs> I'm also crystal clear that I don't do anything, right? Like when I first started in the coaching business, I thought, oh, I'm a coach. I've got so much to say and I've got this. And that I know some things that I've read and that I've experienced fine, but it's very mystical relative to what's possible to know, right? And, and, but, but as time has gone on, I've come to realize that people change when they're ready. And lots of what I have to share is great and it's interesting, but at the end of the day, it's more about me getting out of the way and people getting out of their own way than it is about sort of creating or doing something new. So I don't think I'm some you know phenomenal you know miracle worker necessarily. So, but I will say this: so I've had one client and really interesting guy, you know, um, really hardworking younger guy, and he basically came because he wanted to be successful, okay? And that's generally the the tone. I think most people come, very few people say, I'm not happy, Rob, help me. (laughs) They mostly say, my wife sucks, my husband sucks, uh, everybody sucks and I can't find a date. Or like, I don't make enough money or how can I be more successful? Even though I'm a happiness coach, that's usually how they come. So we start. I always start there and meet people where they are. This one particular guy said, I wanna be successful, I wanna make a lot of money. Can you help me be more disciplined? Can you give me some business coaching advice and all that? So, of course, I say, yes, of course, I want to help you in every, every way I can. That being said, I'm crystal clear that part of my job is to help him understand that being truly successful, from my perspective as a positive psychology expert, means getting him up to speed on what, why happiness is so important. And so we go through a process, and he makes, he's, he's not focusing on the happiness nearly as much as I would like, but he's doing the other things. He's being disciplined. He's you know working hard. He's getting his license. And this business and he moves on. And then before long, he's absolutely crushing it. So he went from making no nothing to making like, you know, $15,000 a week, literally. And I was even shocked. I'll be honest. I was like, this guy is That's highly successful. <laughs> highly successful. I was like, man, I need to <laughs> take some lessons from this guy. <laughs> so he's just, so not long after that, right? Yeah. So I, I start, you know, so he says, oh, you were so helpful, Rob. I said, look, I love you so much. And I just want you to remember, okay, that as Tony Robbins says so well, you know, like success without fulfillment is failure. Right. So I want you to remember that the fulfillment is everything, bud. Like it's great that you're experiencing this. It's a nice little high, but just so of course he's like, I'm, you know, I'm so good. I mean, I feel great. And then a couple weeks goes by, and a couple months goes by, and he's out of the practice, out of my coaching practice. And then I got a text message. He's like, dude, I'm really going through it, man. I'm like, you know, I kind of went back to doing some drugs and alcohol and. I'm just, I'm just, I'm gone, man. I'm totally gone. And I said, well, talk to me. What precipitated this? And he said, just not, you know, just not happy, man. I just thought this stuff would make me happy. <laughs> I, said, I, I said, I, I know we all fall for that one. Yeah. It's a trap, but it's okay. <laughs> right. So we start working through it again. He said, I want more than anything to be happy. So we start working through that process again. And believe it or not, he's turned the corner on all that. Somehow he was convinced that he could not drop any of the addiction stuff unless he got help. He dropped it literally within a week. I mean, the guy's pretty disciplined. And before long, he's like, I'm so much happier. I'm making less money because I'm not working nearly as much. But the money I'm making now is so much more effortless, comes more enjoyably, and I'm just so much more fulfilled. That's a perfect illustration, though, of what we all experience in some respects. I mean, maybe not $15,000 a week always, but it's fascinating to me that even one person, that person like that, can go from having nothing financially and professionally to having everything discovering how unsatisfied or unsatisfying it can be in and of itself 
then find himself lost in addiction. But then ultimately, all that brings him back to a place where he's finally ready to say, yes, the only reason I want anything in my whole life, whether it's a good relationship, whether it's money, whether it's success, whether it's fame, it's just to feel good. And if I'm not feeling good. All of it. Yes, all of it. That's it. Yeah, so that's he's one of the most memorable just because it was like this crazy trajectory over a very short period of time. Yeah, I know. And also he came to you right off the bat, like you said, with that false paradigm of like, look, I just want to be more successful because I think that's going to make me happy is what they're right. And so it's funny that <laughs> yeah. like right away you're like, oh, I know this game. <laughs> like, Come on board. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. We've been there, buddy. I, you know, Jim Carrey says it well. And I'm sure you know this quote. You are a um, quote master, clearly. Um, and he said something like, um, you know, I want everyone to become rich and successful so they can finally realize it's not the answer. Right. I mean, hello. I mean, that's exactly it. And that's the same reason I would love everyone to become rich and successful so they can really have an experience because it's only the experience that explains things. Experience is the only explanation. You need to have the experience. And so if you're wanting to go for money or you're wanting to do something crazy in life and you're just feeling, hey, you're called to do it, do it. Just do it and go for it. And I promise that, you know, if it works out, great. And you find it satisfying, good. You proved us all wrong. And if it works out and you're not happy, or if it doesn't work out and you're not happy, then you come back around. And well, then you were where you started. <laughs> yeah. You didn't lose yeah. anything. You're just back to where you were. Um, you know, before we wrap it up, I want to ask you about this because I've talked about this a couple of times with my own experience. So, you know, you, you, you're a host, you've been an actor, you're also a coach, you have degrees as well. You, you've pursued a lot of things that people in our society consider pipe dreams. Same with me. Yes. And, you know, I have experienced over time, the million, you know, negative naysayers about these endeavors, right? You get kicked back, like, really, going to do that? Or gee, isn't that hard? Or ooh, that's competitive, right? Oh, you want to write a book? I don't know, it's hard to get a publisher, <laughs> all of this damn negative yeah. feedback, right? So, you know, with a lot of people that are listening, that are entrepreneurs and health coaches, especially, and coaches in general, and, 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 and just people that are out there, just successful entrepreneurs in the paleo primal industry, which is, you know, the, such products are exploding. Though a lot of those people are probably getting some heat, right? Even probably from themselves. Or did you get any of that from friends, family, or just people along the way? And how did you choose to handle that? Or how can we wrap our heads around that? Because I mean, I could say a million things like, hey, what anyone else cares about you is not your business. There's another Wayne Dyer, right? You know, mm. or any of those. But at the end of the day, there's there's some tools in way to handle it and also in the way to think about it because sometimes those shot, shots can change how you think about yourself. And I don't want people to go there when they get come across the family members like, really, you should just go back to being a lawyer. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, so I know yeah. that's a loaded 10-part uh, answer for you there, but if you could hit that arena. Yeah. No, I everyone – always loved and liked exactly what I was doing. And they were always in complete agreement. <laughs> I, I said no one ever. So no one ever, right? So <laughs> No one ever objected. No, yeah. exactly. And particularly not people that, you know, are doing something that's nonconformist. So absolutely, I mean, look, everybody, and usually it's the people that are closest to you that often have the strongest objections. And it's not from, it's, it's, it's often from a well-intentioned place. They care about you. They want you to be safe. Part of it is from not so well-intentioned place. Um, but I'd say most of it is. Even if it's from a place of, hey, if he accomplishes something or she accomplishes something that I never went for, it's going to be really disturbing, right? So um, right. everybody told me not to do the psychology thing. I still did the psychology thing because I had no idea what else to do. So it was just, you know, through process of illumination, I was like, oh, I guess it's psychology. So when I got out of school, I went and joined a consulting firm, not because I wanted to, but because I didn't have any other job offers and it happened to be a pretty good offer and it happened totally randomly. Everybody was pretty much behind that. That fit the sort of textbook plan of what you're supposed to do with your life. Corporate-y plan. Yes, yes. Right. And that's safety and security, and that will lead to good things. So, of course, I got into that, and I was really unhappy. However, I met some great people. One guy, a good friend of mine to this day, Bruce, introduced me to Abraham Hicks. Before I knew who Abraham Hicks was, he gave me Sarah and the forgiveness of Friends of a Feather. I was – at that time, I was like, why is he – Give me this children's book. <laughs> What's this about? You know, you must think I'm, you know. I have a degree, fool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's exactly. So I did the consulting thing. I used to pray every day that somehow, miraculously, I wouldn't have to quit. 
but I could like leave the job without like embarrassment and guilt and all that. Right. So that day actually did come. And at that point, um, so in this process, I was actually sort of decided as miserable as I was, and I was going through the suicidal thing. The one thing I knew for sure, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life at all. And I tried really hard to figure it out, but to no avail. I made a decision that I knew I wanted to live in sunshine and I wanted to live on a beach. And I was just, I don't care if I have to, if I lose every penny and if I end up homeless, I'm doing it. So I basically lobbied with the company and I got transferred to a virtual office, my own, in Miami. So when I'm in Miami, that's the point when which the consulting job went away and I was presented with the challenge, which was essentially, how am I going to make money when I don't want to return to corporate America? And that's all I know. Like I got to pay my bills somehow. And strangely enough, some random guy walking along Lincoln Road stopped me and said, hey, have you ever, have you ever done any modeling? And I thought, oh, oh boy, what's this going to be? And I was like, definitely not model <laughs> material. And, um, and, he, and he said, no, really? And I thought, no, I haven't. And I was polite, but I thought that's nothing I would ever do. It's especially nothing anybody I know would approve of me doing. And uh, I was like, what kind of modeling is it anyway? Whatever. Well, lo and behold, I couldn't find any other job. And so I ran into the guy actually again. He gave me a card. I looked up the, the agency. It was legitimate. I called. I went into the agency. And then I started this modeling thing, which I did for about 10 years. Um, and then I did some promoting. The entire time, anything I've ever done, honestly, most people have said, that's ridiculous. You're not going to make any money at it. And more important, <laughs> me too. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and more importantly, how is that being, how is that a grown up thing? That's not adult like, you know, and what safety security is there in that? And I thought, well, there was not safety and security in my corporate job. I lost that job despite always having, you know, outstanding performance reviews. So I just remember thinking, well, these people, I don't, I don't know. And they might be right. I'm miserable doing anything else, and I don't really have a very high tolerance for misery anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to give it a shot, see how it goes. And surprisingly enough, you know, you'd have, and you know how it goes better than anyone, you might have a slump for a couple months, and then something great happens. And then when something great happened, I noticed that, like, I'd book a show, you know, it might not be, you know, NBC, but it might be on UPN or something, or on C CW at the time. And I remember, all my friends and family, they were like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. You're really doing well. And I remember thinking, I still can't barely eat and barely pay my bills. Often I can't, but they seem so excited about and happy. Now they're approving because I'm experiencing success. So then I realized that most of their fear and their naysaying had to do with them, right? not with me. And um, when I started having that realization, that's when things shifted. And I said, oh. I'm going to do all the things that people say I can. I'm going to live where people say I can. I'll live where I, other people vacation. And worst case scenario, I end up where I was before, which was with nothing, which is what I'll end up when I'm dead anyway. You That's know? right. Back to the back to the very beginning, right? We're all going to just be dead anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what are you worried about? <laughs> are you really worried about things? It's all temporary. It's all fleeting. How are we going to worry about? Enjoy yourself while you're here. That's yeah, right. right. Enjoy <laughs> yourself. That's right. Some good times. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, uh, I, uh, I would tell us how, you know, there's so many ways you've got every morning. We can see you on good morning, La La Land, Monday through Friday, uh, Friday mm -hmm. on Facebook. It's a live, uh, morning talk show, which is great. Then you also have this book, yep. um, which we can find on Amazon and elsewhere perhaps, which is happiness from the inside out. Tell us where, where we can get that. Yep. You can get that on Amazon. It's the best place. You can also go to Barnes and Noble, um, and get it. Um, and then you can find me at Rob Mac official on Instagram, or you can find my website at coachrobmack.com. That's great. And do you work on, do you do group coaching or more just one-on-one -on -one private, or do you have any like, you know, Facebook coaching, like six, you know, sometimes people do courses. How, how do you do it? Just one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah, I, I mostly do one-on-one. -on -one. I've done, I do couples uh, coaching. I also do group coaching. Um, and so I'm sort of always, I'm committed to staying open and available to helping people be happy. That's the most important thing to me. And so the format and the, it doesn't matter so much. And I'm willing to work out anything with anybody really, as long as I have the bandwidth, which is, you know, generally a little tight these days, but I love people being happy and I love helping people be happy. And so, um, that's really my commitment. So when there are opportunities to do that, I do, but you know, I kind of, um, I focused on just keeping it as sort of 
customizable as humanly possible. That's excellent. Well, thank you so much for all of your work. We need more people like you who are out there encouraging people for the positivity of, you know, the message of life can be so much better. And it really is, like you said, it's an inside out, you know, job. Um, Rob Mack, thank you so much. Anything else you'd like to leave yeah, with our audience? Any final thoughts? Just, I appreciate you so much. I mean, I really do. And like, you know, you doing what you do and the way that you do it and your spirit and your generosity and your love and, um, and your expertise and your wisdom, it's just profound. You know, we had you in Good Morning La La Land and you were just such an incredible guest. And you can just feel that all the way across the room. I mean, really can feel your energy. So just thanks for having me on your podcast. I absolutely love it. I absolutely love you. And I'm just so deeply grateful that you would provide the opportunity for me to connect with you. So thank you for that. Oh, well, you're welcome. And likewise, thanks again. We will uh, have all the ways to connect to you in our show notes. Have a great day. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. It used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight or flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day this stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage so i like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.